Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Target Field in Minnesota. It's the Cleveland Guardians 6, the Minnesota Twins 5. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And that's right, your first place Cleveland Guardians. They pull into a tie for first place with Minnesota with the win, with an extra inning win. Technically, they are in first place by a few percentage points because the number of games that played have been different between the two teams. But basically, it's a tie for first place. And it's just the first. It's just the first battle of a long war that's coming this season. So the Guardians get the first win in extra innings. In fact, I'm so pumped up about this. I'm so excited about this. There's no way I can fall asleep. There's no way I can go sleep for five hours and get up and do a podcast. We're doing the podcast this evening, right after the game, right after that final out. This is now Cleveland Baseball Nightly. That's right. It's the middle of the night in Cleveland, but I am excited to talk baseball with you. Who knows if the stats and different pages we look at, you know, Andres Jimenez's numbers and Stephen Kwan's numbers probably haven't been updated from this game, but uh, we're going to go into it. We're going to get into the details, the storylines. There was so much in this game. And frankly, there was an off-the-field storyline that sets up this game because Aaron Savali and Fermil Reyes had to be added back to the roster. Both of them would have a huge impact on this game. And to make room for them in the bullpen, it was Sandlin who actually goes down. I thought Castro might get bounced back down, but it's Sandlin. Uh, he he needs to work on his control. I think we can all agree that Sandlin is having a little bit of trouble. He has filthy stuff, but he has to work on his command. He's been pitching to the um, you know inside and outside. He's been working east to west and side to side, and it just doesn't seem like he's got command of those edges. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if when he comes back, is he still trying to hit those edges or is he working more north to south, right? Letting the off-speed pitch fall at the bottom of the zone, throwing the fastball up high. It see That seems to be an effective plan of attack for a lot of the side armors that we see, right? Going high and low. So we'll see. I mean, you got to be able to pitch to all four quadrants in the majors. And he's struggling right now to find the inside and the outside of the plate. So he's going to go down and work on that in AAA. So that makes room for Savali. And to make room for Fermil Reyes, they actually did it. They did the bolder thing. They could have easily taken one of the rookies. They could have taken Gonzalez and said, oh, he needs to work on, you know, staying in the strike zone more. They could have easily taken Palacios and said, hey, he needs more playing time. That's kind of the rumor that we got, right, that they wanted him to play every day so that Palacios might be the one going down. Instead, they DFA Oscar Mercado, designate for assignment, which means any team in Major League Baseball now has an opportunity to claim him, just like Yu Cheng was claimed claimed earlier in the season by the Pirates. If he goes unclaimed like Bobby Bradley did, he actually could end up back in AAA. So we'll wait to see what happens there. But, I mean, the commitment from the front office to say, look, we went out and we got all these young guys. We've either drafted these guys or traded for these guys. Um, frankly, it's a lot of the guys they drafted right now are international free agents that they signed that are coming up. 
And, you know, we've talked about how good this farm system is and these young guys are. And they're showing a real commitment to that by sticking with a Palacio, sticking with an Oscar Gonzalez, even with Fermio Reyes back, trying to find playing time for all these guys. Yeah, it shows a real commitment by the front office to what's been happening all season. I got to say, every move they've made in season, since they broke camp in spring training, and they broke camp with Bobby Bradley and Oscar Mercado and almost Bradley Zimmer. They got rid of him just in nick of time. And yeah, it felt like everything in season has been the right move, has been the bolder move to give up on some of those guys that have had four or five chances here in Cleveland and give those opportunities now to the new crop of young players coming up, the crop of players you've developed that are ready. There's no room for these guys anymore at AAA. They're here at the major league level ready to go. So yeah, and everybody that I talked about so far pretty much had an impact in this game at some point. Palacios' pinch hit didn't go uh, you know, as well as expected. He struck out, but Reyes had a big moment in this game. Savali had a really solid start. Uh, Quan had a huge impact. The other big news is Quan was leading off this game at the top of the lineup. Straw gets moved down to the nine hole. That, again, I feel like it's the right decision, you know? I said I tweeted this out, but you understand why a front office and a coaching staff moves a little slower than the fans move, right? You know, the people on that silly app that like to spout off their opinions, the people on podcasts, on silly podcasts that like to spout off their opinions, uh, it's much easier for us to make a decision that, like, Straw needs to drop down in the lineup, Quan should be hitting leadoff. It's a little bit more difficult from their standpoint, right? The things they do carry a little more weight than the things we say. Or the things we tweet. So they finally make the move, though. They move Straw down into the nine hole. It doesn't go great for Straw. He still strikes out three times on the day. He's 0 for 4 with a walk. Uh, But Quan moving up into the leadoff spot has a fantastic game. 4 for 6 at the top of the lineup with a run scored. I mean, he got a lot of, unfortunately, he got a lot of two outbase hits. So they weren't able to put up some rallies behind that. But he was hitting the ball all over the park. He was lining it into center field. He was hitting bloops in the right center. He was, you know, shooting it down and out in the left field. He was hitting He was hitting some nice balls there. They're not all hard hit balls. In fact, the hardest hit ball he probably had was a 3-1 fastball that he turned on late in the game and absolutely smoked into foul territory down the right field line. It's a shame that didn't stay fair. But yeah, Quan has a fantastic day. Doing what Stephen Kwan does, working long at bats, taking smart swings, taking the ball where it's pitched, and putting it out on the grass, seeing what happens. So a huge day for Kwan leading off. By the way, in that leadoff spot, Kwan's actually been very good so far in the season. He's gotten a few chances to do it with straw getting off days and things like that. He's hitting 360. This is this is probably before the game. He's hitting 360 from that leadoff spot. Uh, a 393 on base of the four spots in the lineup, first, second, eighth, ninth, where he's basically had the most starts, the most at bats. He's had a few pinch hits and other pinch run things and other positions in the lineup, but basically those four spots, he's at the highest on base percentage as the leadoff hitter, a 393 on base. So yeah, this, this is an experiment we got to run with for a while. You know, baseball, you it's, a, you it's a game of large sample sizes. And so we're going to need to collect a little data on this before we rush. I'm glad Quan had a good game. But even if he had had a bad game, 
This is still an experiment. You got to let run for a little bit here. You got to see where it goes, see how Quan does over a month or so, and then evaluate from there. So what a way to kick it off as the new official leadoff hitter, Quan. I'm assuming he's going to be the official leadoff hitter. I guess maybe against the lefty, that might change because uh, he's going to have to rotate some guys in off his bench against a lefty still. But we'll see Quan as the new leadoff hitter, how this runs, hopefully for a while, hopefully for you know a couple weeks, up to a month, and evaluate from there. All right, let's get into the actual storylines of this game, and I got to jump all the way into extra innings because this was a game of exchanging haymakers back and forth, crooked number home runs all over the place, extra base hits all over the place, but the extra innings, my God, the 10th inning, the drama in that 10th inning uh, was just incredible. You thought maybe the Guardians were going to get it done in the top of the 10th inning. They've been very good about that, about getting that lead runner home in the top of the 10th inning and really putting the pressure on the home team and coming away with a lot of wins, right? We talked about that away team advantage. So the 10th inning, Jose Ramirez does the dirty work, hits a ground ball to the right side, moves Ahmed Rosario that you ghost runner or whatever you want to call it from second to third. That's that's the dirty work of small ball. Somebody's got to do that. Someone's got to get that runner to third base. It happens to fall to Jose Ramirez, and he's able to deliver. Then they uh, intentionally walk Josh Naylor, and uh, they bring Owen Miller in a pinch run. They got runners on the corner. What it does for them is it sets up a double play, and now they're hunting for a ground ball. And Oscar Gonzalez, frankly, has a good at-bat here. Unfortunately, it ends up just the way they want it to end up. It ends up with a ground ball. But he works a nine-pitch at-bat. Eventually, he gets a splitter on the inside edge, and they were pounding him in with the with stuff, with off-speed stuff, with splitters and curveballs. I guess the splitter at 96.8. I mean, can you consider a 96.8 splitter off-speed when the fastball's coming in at 100? When the fastball's hitting 99-100? And can you consider the splitter an off-speed pitch? I guess... I guess, right? It works for Classe. He throws that 92-mile-per-hour slider, 93-mile-per-hour slider, so why not? Uh, but they were pounding him inside in this at-bat, looking for that ground ball, and yeah, the splitter finally gets it. But give credit to Oscar Mercado for working a nine-pitch at-bat, and these pitches are close. These pitches that he's fouling off are on the edges, so, you know, they get their ground ball, they get out of it, and now you're thinking, oh, no. Now the the advantage completely swings to the home team, right? It's like in the in the uh, playoffs when you can split those first two games. Suddenly the entire home field advantage flips to the other team. Well, now it's the same situation. Now all the advantage they got the runner in second. All they got to do is bring them in to win. That's it. Byron Buxton leads things off. He draws a walk. Were they pitching around him? Maybe. Maybe did it take a batter for Stefan to find his stuff? Maybe. I don't think we'll ever know. My guess is they probably were being careful with Buxton with that base open, knowing that it then sets up, you know, some force outs at a lot of different bases. Only thing is, Trevor Stefan didn't need it. He goes into filth mode. He goes into an absolutely nasty mode where he is just racking up the strikeouts. And that split finger pitch of his was very very good. Had a 100% whiff rate on that splitter. Three swings, three whiffs. 
He uses it to get a strikeout of Carlos Correa here. It's the only splitter he sees. It's an inside pitch that he swings on top of for strike three. Then it brings up Max Kepler. Kepler, again, uh, swings over that splitter. It's the second pitch of that bat. He goes high fastball for a called strike. Low splitter below the zone that he swings over. Goes high fastball again that he misses away with a 4-4 ball. Stays up there, decides instead of going back down for another splitter, I would have gone back down for another splitter. Stefan says, no, nah, I think I can get him on this one. Goes back up with another fastball. This one's over the plate. It's still above the zone, but it's over the plate. And he swings through it for strike three. And then to lock up a spot on Pitching Ninja tonight on Twitter to get his highlight out there, he decides, I'm just going to go strike out the side. And Gary Sanchez comes up. He gives him a slider on the outside edge for a called strike. Slider right down the middle for called strike two. And then throws him a nasty splitter that uh, Sanchez swings over for strike three. The splitter, three for three, perfect 100% whiff rate from Trevor Steffen. I didn't think Trevor Steffen had it in him to come out and strike out the side in the 10th inning. That is ice in your vein stuff right there. Apparently, apparently to get the most out of Trevor Steffen, we just had to put him in the most high leverage situation we could possibly think of. A tie game and extra innings on the road where they're gifted a runner on second base. I don't think you could have thought up a more high leverage situation for a reliever to come into. A reliever that frankly has not been as great since maybe April. And to come in and uh, really deliver in that situation, that's big stuff. So now we flip it back, you know, the advantage back in our favor. Unfortunately, Reyes goes down with a strikeout in the top of the 11th inning, and that sets up Andres Jimenez to be the hero. He gets a four-seam fastball up for a called strike. This umpire on the day was not calling low pitches. Anything at the knees was not getting called a strike. I mean, it's incredible the amount of, but it was, it was at least consistent the entire game. Some of the pitchers out there were pretty pissed off because they thought they had strike three at the knees. He was not calling it. So, you know, his, his zone was a little high. And so this pitch was in the strike zone. So he gets a called strike at the top of the strike zone. Gets another four-seam fastball that he fouls off. Gets a changeup now that he's able to stay with and foul off. And then finally gets a slider. I don't think this is where Griffin Jacks probably wanted this pitch. It slides right into the middle of the plate, just below the belt. And he is able to shoot it up the middle, 71.6 mile per hour exit velocity. So it's not a hard hit ball by any stretch of the imagination. But it's just the perfect launch angle, 22 degrees, to pop it over the infielder's heads and land it out there in the grass in center field. A 980 expected batting average on this one. And it brings in the uh, runner from second base. Um, who was running at this point? Uh, it was uh, Oscar Gonzalez who started at second base. So he comes in to score, and Andres Jimenez delivers once again in extra innings. He is batting. He is batting in extra innings a thousand. He is batting a thousand. Every at bat, every plate appearance he's had in extra innings, he has gotten a hit. And whether it's three for three, as Statcast is showing me, or whether this is not updated and it's now four for four, he's batting a thousand in extra innings. He's batting 400 in the ninth inning, which is impressive on its own. He's slugging 950 
in the ninth inning. He's got a 1.379 OPS. 1.379 OPS in the ninth inning. That would be impressive enough, except in extra innings, he's got a 2.667 OPS, which is just absurd. This guy absolutely deserves to be the starting second baseman for the American League All-Star team. Andre not let everybody know in the postgame interview. I did I did one ballot. I usually just stick to one ballot. I feel like I got to get on and vote a few more times. Andres Jimenez absolutely deserves it. So morning people, get out there. Tell your friends. Check out the Guardians. Check out Andres Jimenez. If they're going to vote, got to give this guy a vote. Um, he was third in the... And that's the other big off-field news. He was third in the All-Star voting uh, and for some reason, Jose Ramirez is second behind Devers in Boston. We have got to change that. They were separated by a, 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 by, I mean, a thousand votes, maybe. Like, very, very, very close. So, I feel like we could get Jose Ramirez and Andres Jimenez definitely into this All-Star game. Let's see if we can get them starting this All-Star game where they belong. So, yeah. So, Andres Jimenez comes up with a big hit. They would work it. Luke Maley would uh, would draw a walk. Unfortunately, Straw would strike out. He would look at a slider that would lock him up. Uh, and Quan would work a long at-bat, an eight-pitch at-bat. There were a lot of these. Uh, Quan had a long one. Uh, Oscar Gonzalez had that long at-bat in the 10th. Uh, I feel like Ahmed Rosario in the ninth inning had a long at-bat that ultimately ended the inning. But they were, no, I take that back. It was a three-pitch at-bat. He ends up grounding out on a three-pitch at-bat. Although he hit it 102 mile-per-hour exit velocity. So, uh, you know, he at least put a hard swing on it. But, uh, yeah, there were a lot of good at-bats. He was ahead in that at-bat, 2 nothing when he swung at that pitch. Um, there were a lot of good at-bats to end innings. And, unfortunately, Stephen Kwan has one here. We can't put any more on the board. No bonus runs for us in the 11th inning. We get our one, though. And that's enough for Emmanuel Classe. Who he made it interesting though. Giovanni Urshela strikes out swinging, throws him a high slider, a high and tight slider from the right-handed pitcher to the right-handed hitter uh, to get him to strike out. Then gets Nick Gordon to ground out. He goes after a cutter on the inside, uh, off the inside edge of the plate to the left-handed pitcher to left-handed hitter, uh, and he grounds out to first base. And then Joe uh, Jose Miranda, uh, who had pinch hit earlier in the game, he again, apparently the plan was to be aggressive against Classe. First pitch swinging from both of these guys. He gets one 97 mile per hour exit velocity, a cutter on the inside edge to the right-handed hitter. 97 mile per hour exit velocity, 368 to the wall in left field, except, except he hit it at a 40 degree launch angle which gave it an expected batting average of .090. More importantly, it gave Stephen Kwan a chance to get back, circle under it, take a step off the wall, and make the catch to win the game. Uh, yeah, Miranda thought he got it. Miranda thought he he had a home run there, and he did barrel it up, right? He did hit it 97 miles per hour. It's just that 40-degree launch angle. You just got under it, kid. You just got under it. Miranda's probably kicking himself about that one. He thought he had a walk-off home run, but Quan catches it a step in front of the wall, and the Guardians take the win. Now, that was the extra inning drama. I told you, man, it was good stuff. It was edge-of-your-seat kind of stuff. 
that runner on second base really has an effect. I don't know if I... The baseball purist in me isn't sure if I like it, but man, I got to admit, it does create drama late in the game. All right, how did we get to this situation? Well, it was a lot of home runs. Uh, the Guardians do rally for an early run. Quan with a leadoff single. Rosario follows that up with a single. Uh, Ramirez and Naylor can't get anything done, but Oscar Gonzalez delivers a line drive in a right center field. So a little bit of small ball, a little bit of, not even small ball, just a nice rally in the first inning. Gets the Guardians the first run. And then everything else is scored off of big extra base hits. Most of them off of big home runs. Uh, in the third inning, uh, Ramirez hits a double, and then Naylor follows that up with a big home run on a pitch that was frankly kind of right down the plate. Uh, he really unloads on one. Let's see what the exit velocity was on this. It's a four-seam fastball just in off the middle of the plate, right at the belt to the lefty. He hits at 96.9 miles per hour, 353. Uh, it only had an expected batting average of 180, but it clears the front row of seats and goes for a home run for Josh Naylor. Then they would follow that up. Finally, in the fourth inning, they get on the board. Uh, a big double in the fourth inning allows them to put two runs across on Savali. He finally uh, you know, proves to be human and gives up two runs. Uh, Alex Kirilov gets that double on him on a line drive to center field. So they make it an interesting game, and that would bring up the seventh inning, and that would bring up Luis Arise. Now, Arise has been freaking incredible. He's batting 362 with an 899 OPS on the season. Guy has been incredible. And it's an interesting situation because De Los Santos comes in, pitches the sixth, really good, starts the seventh off, eventually gives up a walk. So they come out and get him. It looked like he was out of gas at 22 pitches. Um, and he's a, he's a Short time, you know, short term reliever. That's his job is to come out there. He, he doesn't have the length that Eli Morgan has, basically. So he gets the job done. He does end up giving up a walk, and this would hurt because Eli Morgan would come in and they would jump all over him. Clearly, they have done their homework on Eli Morgan. And they said, hey, man, when he throws that, we are jumping all over that changeup. That is all we are sitting on is that changeup. As soon as you see that changeup out of Eli Morgan's hands, you jump on it. So he tries to throw a first pitch changeup to Ryan Jeffers, and Jeffers jumps on it. Hits a line drive double out to Stephen Kwan in left field. 102 mile per hour exit velocity. Frankly, this was a get me over changeup from Eli Morgan. This was right down the middle of the plate. And Jeffers was ready for it. Then Luis Arise uh, takes a four seam fastball high, follows off another high four seam fastball. Gets a changeup down and in, and he turns on it 96.7 miles per hour. He hits a homer out to right field, 359. Only at a 400 expected batting average, so probably isn't a home run everywhere, but it makes it out of target field. It's a three-run home run from Luis Arise. And on a changeup, too, he hits changeups pretty well. He's hitting uh, off off-speed pitches. He's hitting 346, slugging 500. Now, off of four-seam fastballs, Luis Arise is hitting 415 and slugging 512. The breaking ball is the pitch to get him on. Unfortunately, that's not really Eli Morgan's arsenal. It's fastball changeup, and he pays on the changeup. 
Now, this isn't really a spot where Arise has hit a lot of home runs this season. All his home runs have actually come from up and in. Uh, but he does have a lot of base hits here. He hits decently well from pitches on the inside edge to him. So he's able to get one here off of Eli Morgan, who had been, I mean, Eli Morgan we thought was a lock, right? We thought when Eli Morgan comes into a game, consider that game over. But nope. The Twins get to him, so it'll be interesting to see. You know Morgan is going to come back in this series. He's going to pitch again in this series. It'll be interesting to see what Morgan comes out of the gate with. I think he's got to come out throwing fastballs and then work in those change-ups. He was able to do that. Uh, he stayed in the game. He then faced uh, Byron Buxton. You know, He's facing the heart of their order. He eventually locks him up with a high change-up at the top of the zone for a called strike three. So he wasn't completely afraid to throw the changeup again. Uh, he didn't throw any to Carlos Correa after that. Gets him to ground out on a high fastball. So yeah, so I think Eli Morgan's going to have to be careful about coming out and people sitting on that changeup. He's going to have to throw those fastballs to get them off a little bit so that the changeup will continue to be effective. So they're able to get their big run that way. But then uh, the Guardians are able to get it done in they respond right away, and we've talked about this before in the podcast. Man, being able to respond right away that is really demoralizing to you know whatever team ends up giving up the uh, retaliation runs, as I'll call them. So, this time now, the top of the eighth inning with one out, Josh Naylor is able to single, hits 107.6 mile per hour line drive into center field. Gonzalez would be up after him, unfortunately, he would fly out now with two outs for Mio Reyes is up. And he throws him all cutters, just cutter after cutter. He doesn't throw much except the hard stuff. It's a cutter or fastball mostly out of him anyways, but just cutter after cutter, six cutters in a row. And the sixth one finds the middle of the plate. The sixth one finally finds the middle of the plate. He had been creeping back towards it with every pitch. Finally, he puts one there. And for Mio Reyes gets it, 111.7 miles per hour, 419 feet a line drive to straightaway center field, a two-run home run, and it ties up the game. That had to be so demoralizing for the Twins players, the Twins fans. You had just jumped the lead. You had been down all game. You had just jumped into the lead, and then Fermil Reyes makes you pay. Now, Fermil Reyes frankly had a pretty terrible day. He goes one for five with four strikeouts on the day. And he was swinging at some bad pitches. He was going out of the zone, swinging at bad pitches. So it doesn't look like Fermil Reyes is completely fixed. But the fact that a pitch down the middle, earlier in the season, he had been swinging and missing at pitches down the middle. So the fact that he's able to get one, he's able to take a mistake and make him pay, we'll take it from Fermil Reyes right now. We'll see if the plate discipline comes back. It's a big difference between hitting down there in the minors, right? He had crushed minor league pitching in his rehab stint. Uh, It's a big difference between minor league pitching and major league pitching. It's a huge leap in command and location. And uh, Reyes is going to have to readjust to major league pitching a little bit. But but he does get a hero moment in his return with a two-run home run to tie the game up in the eighth inning. So some pretty crazy stuff all the way around. And we haven't even talked about the starting pitching yet. We haven't even gotten into that yet. Uh, I mean, everybody from the bullpen had their moments. Shaw, I mean, we pitched De Los Santos, Morgan, Shaw, Henches, Stefan, and Classe in this game. And they all have their moments uh, where they shined. 
Shaw and Henches have clean innings. Uh, Henches does give up two hits, but he's able to get out of it. Trevor Steffen and De Los Santos strike out three each, and Classe shutting that door in the 11th inning. That's big stuff. On the starting pitching side, uh, Joe Ryan has pitched pretty well against us in his few starts. Uh, I mean, it's a short career so far for Joe Ryan, but he seems like he's going to really be effective against uh, the Cleveland Guardians. And in this one, he's pretty good. He gets hard hit a lot. He gives up. I mean, he does give up three runs in this one. Seven hits, one walk, seven strikeouts on 101 pitches. And of course, for Joe Ryan, it's the fastball. It's all about his fastball. Uh, he has a uh, doesn't have a huge CSW number on the fastball. Does get seven whiffs. Does get 11 called strikes. But he threw the darn thing 62 times. So really, really throwing it a lot. And the average exit velocity off it was 97 miles per hour. So yeah, he uh, the fastball wasn't exactly as great of a pitch as it usually is for Joe Ryan. Uh, let's see. I'm guessing a lot of his strikeouts probably came on that fastball. Yeah, in fact, in fact, all seven strikeouts came on that fastball. So yep, it's an effective pitch for him as usual. But what about for Aaron Savali? This time, it was the curveball that was effective for him. Frankly, a lot of his pitches were effective. They talked about earlier in the game that maybe he would try to limit how many different pitches he threw. Well, no, he ends up throwing six different pitches on this game. Uh, The sinker, the two-seamer, the most, followed by the curveball. But the curveball has a 50% CSW. The two-seamer, not half bad. With 10 called strikes, it has a 46% CSW. It's a 39% CSW total on the day for Aaron Savali. Called strikes plus whiffs. That's borderline elite stuff. I mean, it's a really good start for Aaron Savali's return. He goes five innings. He's only limited to 80 pitches. Uh, he's hard hit six times. Gives up five hits. The two earned runs on that double uh, in, the, uh, in the fourth inning. One walk to seven strikeouts. And his strikeouts were coming on a little bit of everything. He's got... Some uh, curveballs down outside of the zone. He's got one slider on the outside edge to Byron Buxton. And then he's got a couple of two-seamers, some of his sinkers, uh, that he got a called strike down the middle. He's got a swing strike to Giovanni Urshela and a uh, called strike to Ryan Jeffers on the outside edge. So pretty good stuff from Aaron Savali. Frankly, it was, it was despite the amount of runs scored, it was a pretty good pitching duel uh, you know, both pitchers seem like they had it until big moments, giving up big home runs. Joe Ryan gives up the home run, the two-run home run to Naylor. Savali doesn't give up any of the home runs. It'd be the bullpen uh, and Eli Morgan that gives up the home run. Uh, so yeah, so both pitching staffs definitely were looking sharp until they weren't, right? That's what we're talking about with haymakers. You know, a haymaker is a, you know, in boxing, right? It's that big swing. It's taking that big swing, trying to land a big blow to turn things in your favor. And that's what both of these teams kind of needed on this day. Uh, It wasn't really a day for huge rallies. It was a day for big blows and big moments. And uh, yeah, the Guardians just got more of them by the end of the day, by the end of 11 innings. So a really, really fun baseball game. I feel like I could keep going just picking little tiny moments that were really impactful throughout this game. But you know what? I think we got to wrap it up here with our MVP for the day. 
And oh man, I, what do I go with, morning people? What do I go with? You know, the the go ahead hit in the eleventh inning from Andres Jimenez. I think I think I have to go with Trevor Steffen. I think the most high leverage moment of this game was Trevor Steffen in the bottom of the tenth inning. If that runner from second scores, it's over. And what does he do? He strikes out the side. I think I got to go with Trevor Steffen as the MVP on the day. I mean, Jimenez's hit was awesome. It was awesome. But the most valuable moment of the day, the most valuable player was Trevor Steffen in that bottom of the 10th inning for me. So uh, it feels like we're giving it to the relief pitchers a lot lately. They have really dealt with some high leverage moments and have delivered. It's one of the best bullpens you know, we see them every day. We see the flaws, but the numbers say they're one of the best bullpens in baseball. And Trevor Steffen shows why with some filthy, filthy splitters. Hey, he not only does he win MVP for the day, but he gets the shout out from Pitching Ninja, who gets his highlights out. I guarantee he will be in Pitching Ninja's filthiest pitches of the day uh, when that releases tomorrow. So Trevor Steffen, great game out of you. Andres Jimenez, you got the Andre Knott interview, so you got an honor of your own after the game. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly. Again, the final from Target Field, from Minnesota. It's the Guardian 6, the Minnesota Twins 5. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the first place Cleveland Guardians. Let me know your thoughts on Andres Jimenez and you know uh, Jose Ramirez getting into the All-Star game. Let me know your thoughts on the decision to keep Palacios and Gonzalez at the Major League level at DFA Mercado. You can email me, clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. We'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly.